0: plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome, friends, to another r slash malicious compliance video. Today, we've got a story of perfectly complying to the wishes of a new manager. But first, a story from Legion 1117, Invitation Loophole. I was just reminded of this by another thread on another sub, but it happened about 10 years ago when my child was in kindergarten in a school in a really small town in a rural area. We were new to the area, and I'd met very few people and even fewer other parents as I hadn't had the time to mix with parents at the one or two events the school had during the few weeks we'd been in the district. With my kid's birthday coming up, I knew this would create a problem when it came to having her first big birthday party that consisted of more friends than relatives. The school had a policy that stated that if a child wanted to invite their classmates to a party via invitations handed out in the class, they had to bring an invitation for every child in the class. Dumb? Yes. Enforced with gusto? Absolutely. Parents were having parties for 20-30 to kids every birthday. I'd already seen this with the one party we'd attended, and through conversations with the two other parents there, I learned of the school's adamant enforcement of this policy, and that the parents hated it. I hadn't even experienced it yet, and was already twitching at the thought of 20 to 30 children my child may or may not like, and possibly at least one parent for each arriving at my small home. I could also already hear my husband protesting the invasion of his home by strangers. To say that we were a very private couple would be an understatement. It was not going to work, so I hatched a plan. When my own child's birthday party planning came around, I called the school and arranged a meeting with her teacher. At the meeting, I presented her with a small stack of invitations made out to selected friends of my child. I explained the situation of me not having contact information for their parents because, while social media is great, most people don't sign up as Abby's mom or Zach's grandpa, and I was having a hard time getting the invitations out to them. Could she please put the invitations into these children's take-home folder that afternoon so that the parents could find them? As she was trained to do, she told me she couldn't ONLY put them in the folders for a handful of students, because it violated class policy on invitations. Being ready for this, I pulled out the school handbook and opened it to the page I'd marked containing the policy, and used it to show her that while it says students may not pass out invitations to only a handful of their peers, It says nothing about a teacher placing the invitations into a folder to be sent home at the end of the day without the students knowing about it during the day. After a moment of thought, she took the invitations, chuckled while shaking her head, and told me she'd never had a parent actually schedule a meeting to try and get out of a school rule and win on a well-thought-out technicality and that she was going to remember it for a long time. Then she asked me if I was an attorney or paralegal perhaps, I laughed and told her no, but I did play one in my divorce a couple years prior. She said I missed my calling. I still talk with her when we run into each other now and then. Great lady. The kids had a great party. I finally got contact information for parents when they called the RSVP, and we only had to deal with a handful of people in a space. Wins all around. Does anybody else think it's really dumb that the school had this rule and was trying to involve itself in affairs that in no way has any relation to the school short of the kids all go there? Should a school be able to dictate who you can and can't invite to your kid's birthday party? Let me know if you guys see any merit in this or not in the comments down below. Our next story is from Allison Literally, another find the non-existent bug story. The story I just read here reminds me of when we were being touted a secure banking system that would throw tantrums if anyone changed anything after a payment had been signed off. Of course, the demo didn't entail sending real instructions to a real bank, so there was no risk of money leaving the account. All roles in the demo were played by our senior people. The demo duly created a payment by a clerk, one manager signed off, a second manager countersigned off, and then, to prove security, we broke for lunch, leaving the machine on with the payment ready to go. The software was programmed to invalidate signatures if anything was changed, even a word or a comma, which was the secure bit being touted. While the bigwigs were at a posh restaurant, little old me had my sandwich, then with time to kill, dug into the machine and found the secure data was in an access database. The security came from locking the user interface, When they came back from lunch the payment amount had two extra zeros tacked on signatures were still valid and i was at my desk head down trying to hide my grin while the seller tried to figure out what the heck happened after the software was rejected i fessed up to doing the dirty but refused to tell them how the seller tried their best to bribe me and or recruit me but i refused and stayed a lowly accountant for some years Honestly, I'm surprised that OP was holding out on this, like, the amount they must have been trying to bribe OP with must not have been that much. Because to be honest, if I was in that situation, I feel like there would be a price for me to give you the information on what you did wrong. I guess it was more important to OP to make sure that these people who are honestly trying to push something rather reckless can't get past the initial hurdle to keep selling it. By the way, if you're enjoying these stories, make sure to hit those like and subscribe buttons down below so you never miss any of my daily videos. Our next story is from Individual Penalty 599 okay mother. Another post reminded me of this story from when I was a kid. I grew up in a different country than my parents and the one I was born in. When I was 12 years old, we moved back there for two years. This is a country where there's many murders by poisoning food or drinks. My mother had warned my siblings and I not to accept food or water from anyone other than my grandma who lived nearby. One day, my brother and I were walking around the neighborhood, and this neighbor and his wife invited us to eat with them. Not unusual. We knew who he was, but we said no because of what mother had said. Needless to say, he wasn't happy. He went home with us to complain to mother about how rude we were, it is indeed considered rude in that part of the world, especially when the invitations from someone of your parents' generation and people show their love and appreciation by feeding you. He complained about how he had known us since we were four me and three brother, always kept tabs on us, we were friends with his kids, and now we had the audacity to refuse his and his wife's food. Mother had to apologize and let him know that we were just following her instructions and not to blame us. He demanded that she gives us a specific list of people we could eat at, and she did. She later told us that she was counting on our good judgment, and meant people she and father weren't close to. I understand telling them this, expecting them to just kind of do it based off of their own judgment, but I mean, when you tell a 12 year old something, you should be prepared to accept that they take it very literally. It's like making a joke about a kid using sarcasm, a lot of times they'll just take it literally and be upset. You gotta be careful the way you word things because they'll take things very literally our next story is from an anonymous poster new mangler you're just a driver stop complaining and just do it as it's written i started working as an hgv driver working in multi-temp delivery a few months ago we deliver food drinks and consumables to commercial kitchens such as pubs hotels schools etc each day we get given a loaded lorry and a route of between 15 and 20 drops to deliver to Most days we get back to the depot about 9-10 to hours after we set out in the morning. The route is very important, as the lorry will be loaded with that route in mind, delivering to school A first, then school A's cages will be loaded last, blocking access to the next drop's cages. For years, the peculiarities of each drop location and the routes have been fine-tuned by the drivers, to make delivering the whole route easier and faster. We're salaried, not hourly. So the sooner we get back, the better. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A few examples. You don't want to be turning up at a school to try and deliver during the school runtime. The roads are blocked with parents dropping their kids off. It's a pure nightmare. Get there early or skip it until after 9 a.m. Pub A and Hotel B may be only a quarter of a mile from each other, but there's a low bridge and a railway line in between. So to get an 18-ton lorry from A to B, you need to do a 6-mile detour. Pub C's kitchen crew don't start work until 10 a.m., and there will be no one on site to accept the delivery if you go there before then. Garden Center D and Farm Shop E are on opposite sides of a very busy dual carriageway, so if you try to deliver D and then E, you'll be stuck waiting for a gap in traffic to get across for a long time. Far better to deliver to D on the way out of the route and E on the way back home. The routes do change a bit with load limits and order quantities, but on the whole they've been pretty good with minimal having to rearrange on the fly and unload cages to get to the cages you need for the drop. Enter new manager Bob. Bob has never driven a lorry or worked as a delivery driver. Bob likes computers and is all about efficiency. Saving fuel and routes need to be as distant efficient as possible. Bob decides that the routes need to be changed. He uses a lovely program on his PC and plugs in all the addresses of drops and lets the program work things out for him. Bob forgets to tell the program that the delivery vehicles weigh 18 tons and are 12 feet 6 inches high. First day the new routes are released, the drivers are going, What the freak? That makes no sense. And go to see Bob to find out what the freak is going on and tell him how it's just not going to work. Bob's answer is rather dismissive calling us just drivers and to do it as written. He's the manager and knows best. A lot of work has gone into these new routes and they start as written the next day and must be complied with. There's lots of swearing and complaining in the crew room until someone points out that Bob is afternoon duty manager the next day. The duty manager has to stay until the last lorry gets back to the depot and then sort out any issues with the day's deliveries. So it's not only us that will have a crap day. Since we have to do them as written, let's all just do that and show him just how much he screwed up. The fallout, I was lucky. My route only took 13 hours instead of the usual 10. I got back to base at 6pm. My refueling was about 20 liters of diesel more than usual. Who would have thought sitting in traffic with the engine and refrigeration units running burnt so much fuel. But I completed my route. I was one of the first drivers back at base. As HGV drivers, we have strict duty time and drive time rules we legally have to comply with. So as drivers got towards their 15 hour duty time limit or 10 hour drive time limit, they turned back to base even if they hadn't completed their run. Apparently by 9pm there was a queue of lorries parked up on the road trying to get into the depot, and drivers were walking up to Bob and handing him their keys as, legally, they weren't allowed to work anymore. The mandatory 1-hour total breaks in a 12-hour shift don't count towards duty time. There's also a mandatory 11-hour break between shifts that, as a driver, you can get into serious trouble for breaching, so all the drivers who would normally have been turning up for work at 5 a.m. couldn't start until 8 a.m. at the earliest. I turned up at 5 a.m., and Bob had only left when the morning duty manager turned up at 3 a.m. I spent the day shunting, unloading, and refueling as the loaders and pickers tried to get lorries ready to get some of the routes out. The old routes. The rest of the drivers turned up 11 hours after they finished and sat in the crew room drinking tea waiting for their lorries. Everyone who could agreed to do Saturday morning overtime, usually paid at 1.5 but as double time Sunday rate instead so that the drivers would say yes to get the deliveries missed out to the customers. The office crew spent all day on the phones apologizing and rearranging deliveries. Bob never showed up for his shift. I can't wait until Monday. Anyone want to place bets on if it's old routes or Bob's routes? I think I'm going to make a very safe bet here, and I assume it's going to be the old routes. All I know is if people have been at a certain thing for a while, they're well-experienced, well-seasoned. I'm going to at least hear them out on why they think what I'm doing is a bad idea, but I guess that's what separates me and Bob the Mingler. And our final story of the day is from PastFly1003, prove it? Love to! A while back, my agency was about to deploy a new financial management system, which had been developed in-house to dovetail with some of our pre-existing systems. I was part of a combo tech-slash-management group tasked with reviewing the new software. After a short hands-on demo, we were on the receiving end of a presentation by the developer, let's call him Tim, with whom I had a bit of a not-great history. And the more we got into the technical nuts and bolts of the FMS, the more apparent it was Tim was leaning heavily on security through obscurity. Oddball data structures, deeply recursive API calls, etc. Mid-presentation, Tim and I got into it a little bit, Tim saying his structures are so arcane, nobody would be able to trace the course of his calls. Me calling BS saying for a sufficiently skilled programmer, the question wouldn't be if, but when. Tim calling that BS, etc., etc. You get the idea. After a few exchanges, an irritated Tim said, You think it would be so easy to crack? Prove it. At that point, I backed off to let Tim finish his presentation. But while Tim did that, I cracked open my notebook and went back into the demo system about 20 to 30 minutes later when tim was in the final q a phase of his presentation i re-raised my concerns tim reasserted his confidence in his system security at which point i asked so you're saying you would have no qualms trusting the system to protect your personal data and slid a piece of paper across the conference table to tim tim looked at the paper then back at me, then back to the paper again as his face turned beet red. This of course did not go unnoticed by the other attendees who looked curiously and those who actually knew me smirkingly at me and not wanting to disappoint. I asked him if he wanted to share the contents of the note with everyone. A negative head shake was his only response. One of the other attendees who knew me said, okay, what's the freaking deal? We were a pretty informal bunch but all I said was, it's Tim's call. Either he can read out loud what's on that piece of paper, or he can explain what it is and why he doesn't want to. Painted into a corner, Tim had no choice. He mumbled, it's me. You see, while Tim was continuing his presentation, I had gone back into the demo, cracked my way down to programmer mode, and sussed through the data structures enough to get to the FMS's personnel file. I figured Tim was the sort to use himself as a test entry in the file, And I was right. His security through obscurity held out for less than half an hour. And on that piece of paper, nothing much, just Tim's social security number. Afterwards, the group decided some redesign was necessary before the system went into testing for production employment. Unanimously, including Tim. He moved on shortly after, by the way. I can't start to pretend to act like I understand any of the programmer talk that went on here, but one thing I do understand is when somebody is so uber confident of themselves and their abilities and that no concerns brought up were ever going to be legitimate against this masterpiece they did is that it's just one satisfying thing to humble them and end up making them want to leave the room with their tail tucked between their legs.